Welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. This is the third installment of our youth sports safety series leading up to the youth sports safety symposium that we're holding here in La Crosse, Wisconsin on October the 12th. Uh, it's talks from 8.30 in the morning till about 10.30. Uh, that'll be four talks revolving around sports uh, safety for youth athletes. Uh, please check that out. The link is in the show notes and also in the description if you are on YouTube or through podcast outlets to RSVP. That will be followed by Youth Sports Day at the UWL football game versus Stout. Um, hope you enjoy this one. This is talking to Corey Wenzel and Marissa Castaneda, who are both athletic trainers and have experience working in the high school level and just trying to work with athletes to keep them safe and not overloaded when it comes to the amount of activity that they're required to complete. So with that, enjoy this episode. Welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. We are here with Corey Wenzel and Marissa Castaneda. Yep. Yes. Got it right. Um, who are both athletic trainers um, that we work with at UW Lacrosse and also with Mayo Clinic Health System in the Lacrosse area. Um, we are continuing our youth sports safety discussion uh, with them, as we've kind of mentioned in the other episodes. Uh, one um, on youth nutrition, another with our team physician talking about just injuries in general with youth and the importance of taking care of them. Uh, we're continuing that leading up to our symposium on October the 12th in La Crosse, uh, link in the show notes. But today we're gonna talk about um, just overlying how much activity a high school athlete may go through. Um, Corey's done some background research on that and just his experience working in the high school setting. Um, and then beyond that, just talking more with uh, both Corey and Marissa, just the importance of having an athletic trainer or at least anybody um, that can help see those trends and things that are heading south and hopefully reduce the risk of long-term damage. So with that, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, thanks for having us. Thanks. So, um, Corey, I know you said you did some research. You looked at just in Wisconsin alone, but an athlete that is three-sport athlete, which isn't totally uncommon, um, which we'll talk a little bit about specialization later, but three-sport athlete on a winning team, so we're talking conference, regional, sectionals, or sectionals, regional, state, however it breaks down and, like, what that looks like in the course of a school year. Yeah, so I mean, in the course of of a school year, uh, so personally my background, I've been working high school athletics for um, 10 years prior to coming and working with Mayo Clinic Health System. Um, So I have a little bit of uh, background knowledge to speak on and everything, and I understand kind of the uh, high school sports scene a little bit um, and how the schedules and everything work. So um, just as an example, if you're a girl playing high school athletics, a three-sport athlete, um, probably starting with volleyball in the fall, starting middle of August. That goes till, you know, beginning of November if you make the state tournament. From there, you transition right into basketball. 
um, which can go if you make it all the way to the state tournament to the middle of March. And then from there, you transition right into the track season, which actually starts before your basketball season ends. Um, either that or it's soccer, which you have a little bit of a gap, a one week down, down, down week before you get into soccer. Um, or you start up with softball right away. Um, and either, either of those spring sports would essentially run you into um, towards the end of the school year into the beginning to middle part of June. From there, we all know that, uh, and it's important that everybody stays active over the summer doing things, um, but how much activity uh, do we want them to do? Um, everybody's you know, wanting to pursue the club volleyball, the AU basketball, club soccer, um, everything like that. So you try and throw all that stuff into the summer and kind of do it during the school year too, just depending on what practice demands and everything are. Um, and it's the same for, for the boys too. I mean, starting football, we're starting essentially August 1st uh, is when football practices typically would start for high school. This year, I think it was a little bit later. I think they were August 6th or 7th. Um, but that would run all the way to, if you make the state championship game, all the way till almost Thanksgiving. Um, I think it's a few days, but the weekend before Thanksgiving is when the state tournament is this year. Um, from there, you would transition to wrestling, basketball, hockey, whichever it is. That would run you again until kind of the middle, mid to end of March. And then from there, it's right into baseball and, and or track, which can either be going or not going dependent on what sport you're playing and everything. And so there's this overlap of just all these things that all these kids are doing, not to mention all the lifting that they're doing um, throughout the school year, throughout the season to stay on top of their game at their best. Um, so it's just a lot uh, for these you know, kids to be putting all these additional stresses and everything on their body and they only have a certain amount of time. Um, to get all these things done, plus you had school, that kind of compounds the issue and everything. I mean, where do you fit everything in um, is where it kind of comes down to. And then not to kind of lead into the specialization aspect, but you are always going to have those few athletes that that's all they want to do is be in the gym shooting hoops or skating on the ice or whatever the case may be, and that's all they're doing all year round. Um, so they think that they're you know, really benefiting themselves and getting themselves, you know, ahead of the game by doing this all year round when not everybody is, but it can also be a detrimental effect to that individual as well, um, just because you're using the same um, muscles repetitively over and over and over again and not giving them adequate rest, adequate break um, from there. So. I mean, that's kind of what an, what an athlete would typically go through, being a three-sport athlete mm -hmm. and everything. Again, it, it, that's kind of can change. And, uh, I mean, not everybody's a three-sport athlete. Some are two. Some, again, are the specialized, thinking that they just want to do one sport and that's it. Um, but that's kind of the, their background from a, from a high school standpoint, like what their schedule would, would kind of look like. Um, and again, in the summer, it's just every every individual coach, every individual right. team. They're they're gonna have requirements in the off season of what they want those individuals and kids to do. And in Wisconsin, they have what are called contact days in the summer. Yep. 
So you have X amount of days to summer do basketball leagues on top of the AAU team. Right. Yep. And so in the summer, when there are no classes, there is no schoolwork, they all of a sudden ha magically have all this time to get all this done. Well, then you have, I mean, then they're literally going from 6.30 in the morning, lifting, then from there they go to open gym. From there they go and maybe they're in the passing league for football. After that, maybe they have a couple hours to themselves to go hang out with friends and do whatever. And then it's off to Legion Baseball and their AAU basketball game or whatever. And that's not even getting into, you know, tournaments on the weekends, mm -hmm. which we all know. I mean, if you're going to a tournament, you're not just playing one game a day. Um, club volleyball, just I know from talking to athletes that I've worked with, can be up to like five games in a day. Um, sometimes just dependent on how good the team is and what level you're playing at and what tournament you're at. And AU basketball is probably very similar to that. I don't specifically know. I haven't had those specific conversations. Yeah, it's at probably at least three on the first day, and then yeah. depending on how good you are, right. how many you're playing on day two. Right. So all that it just it just kind of compounds, and if you're not if those individuals are not getting that adequate rest time plus the and we didn't even I didn't even touch on which I'll say it now the travel to get there. Yeah. I mean the AAU showcases. Well, I got to go all the way out to Las Vegas or down to Chicago or whatever. Like, it's just a lot of time and um, everything that that these kids have to put in to try to try to. I don't want to say make everybody happy, but to kind of appease everybody and to, um, to what they think to help themselves be better at whatever game that they're trying to pursue. Yep. Marissa, you also spent time at a high school. I did. Um, a couple high schools. A couple different high schools. Mm -hmm. See anything different? Because it was in a very different geographical location. They were. Uh, but yeah. I got to imagine similar trends. Um, yes, I feel like to an extent. Um, I think that's... So I worked at a high school down south. And down south, it was a little bit... I don't want to say like lackadaisical. But they definitely like did take a little bit more time to recover between seasons and so not necessarily everybody was doing club sports like either so it was strictly just like school athletics okay. and they were just fine but again it's also like smaller schools rural schools right that like you have a freshman and a senior playing on the same team or you have eighth graders and freshman football players playing together which yep. there's a difference there so but i would agree so obviously with all of that, like, you know, you talked about just even the commitment and you can refer back to our podcast with um, AJ Jagum on, you know, like, they're not sleeping to recover from that. And obviously they're not um, probably eating well enough or just generally recovering well enough, which is something we also talked about with Doc Erickson. I know one of the topics we want to talk about is the role of the athletic trainer. Um, and Marissa, I'll let you take this one away and just like how that can help and ultimately kind of tying into what we're trying to show with this symposium and this kind of overall general thing that we're pushing out there. So I'll kind of just turn it over to you on that one. Great. Um, so I would, I feel like the athletic trainer is the first line of defense, right? That's how kind of we always tout ourselves or is almost similar to like a primary care physician, kind of we know a little bit about everything. But 
parents don't really see that as much and either it's because they don't know what the athletic trainer knows or what our schooling is or what we do or whatever tape ankles and give water right, right exactly yeah. like whatever reason if there's an athletic trainer at the event they're there for a reason and that is to help your child if there is an injury in whatever capacity if it's like a acute injury where they're getting a fracture or if it's hey this his wrist has been hurting for a while can you take a look at it like feel free to utilize that AT and that's there because that's why they're there. Um, and I would just say to emphasize to parents that we really do have the athlete's best interests at heart and we can really navigate that return to play. So say your kid gets hurt in whatever mid-basketball season or something, you go to the doctor and they you get a diagnosis, but then you don't know where to go from there, how far to push them or whatever. And that's where I think really we shine so that we can mitigate some of those overuse injuries that we do see and then uh, really help them get back into prime condition. So um, if there aren't athletic trainers at the events that you're there, then I feel like uh, parents should be asking questions and maybe some of them are and maybe some of them aren't. And those questions can be directed to like coaches, to the sport organization, staff, whatever it is, you should be aware of what are the procedures if something happens to my kid. Like if he gets hit in the head with a soccer ball, can he go back in to play? Does this coach know what he should be doing? Not necessarily that the coach is doing a concussion evaluation, but they can recognize, all right, this kid got hit in the head. He's saying he feels dizzy. He needs to sit. Right. Something like and that. And even some officials with that, because I right. know they're, at least in the collegiate level, and you guys could elaborate on the high school, if they have any suspicion, they're supposed to send the person off. They're supposed to. To get yep. evaluated. Yeah. Supposed to. Yeah. And I understand they've got their own things going on. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I know that's something that has been supposedly emphasized. But then that's something that changes, too, with, like, tournaments, where you're getting yep. refs from all over the area so you're getting a hodgepodge group of people who, yes, know the rules for everything, but don't know what the specific rules are for that venue or where an AT is located or where whatever is located, right? Because they're traveling in or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the NATA National Athletic Trainers Association has a checklist that parents can utilize or um, coaches or refs or, again, sport organizers can utilize. And then they'll go through a little bit of the basic steps of everything that we do. One, is your coach CPR and AED certified? Is your ref CPR and AED certified? Um, two, what do they do if there's an injury? Is there, you know, ice available or something? Um, or what other services are there? Three, where's the nearest hospital? Like, that's not really something you think about until, like, something bad happens. Right. Yeah. Um, and then a couple other things such as like weather if you're outside, so lightning policy or heat illness, something like that. Like, do they know steps that should be taken? And also, can they remain calm if they have to call 911? Which I think are all very viable questions that parents should be asking. You have anything to add to that? No, I, I was going to transition to the next kind of question on that. But. I, I was just going to touch on, uh, Marissa had mentioned uh, just overuse injuries and kind of had mentioned the uh, concussion as an example, but also like the little league pitcher who there's no generally not going to be an athletic trainer covering every little league game that right. your child is going to be playing in, but your child is having shoulder pain 
like what do we do about that well and we always kind of say you know don't let like ignore the shoulder pain don't turn it into something that's going to be bigger than what it is have them rest right away it'll probably resolve within a couple of days yeah and it turns into yep. an issue versus if you keep on pushing it and keep on pushing it well i have a little bit of pain but it's not too bad i can play through it two weeks later i got a little bit more pain but it's the middle of the season i don't want to miss it it's an important game and now two weeks after that my arm is about ready to fall off well now i just create a big problem for myself right and now i have to have some big intervention because and again kids have another kind of compounding factor they have all those open growth plates in their body whereas adults we're done growing sorry yeah. folks um but by the time we're what 18 19 uh, most growth plates in the body are closed for both boys and girls at that time so beyond then uh, nobody's really going to do do any more growing so just to have those op open growth plates and everything um you know while they're participating it's just very easy to get all these other stresses to those areas and not really know um, I guess how to treat it or how to like what to do for it other than well put a bag of ice on it because that seems to be um, the typical go-to for everything so yeah uh, what I was going to kind of ask about just like on a more global thing is that we were talking about you know high school um, <coughs> rates of participation and just how much they're doing and obviously within our profession um, of athletic training there's a lot of push to have athletic trainers at high schools and I feel like it's framed and rightfully so more as the you know if something's going to happen as you reference you know the yeah. acute thing at yeah. the event when it happens but if you can get you know a person in a capacity where they can look at the trends of that three sport athlete or help establish something because I think if it's available, which again, this is still going out there, but like if you have a good strength and conditioning coach that is also noticing those things that, you know, it's not just go, go, go all year long because nobody can really tolerate that. But having that athletic trainer that know, gets to know the athletes and what they're liking, to your point, Corey, you know, is the encouraging, let's come in and make this a one to two day thing, not a one to two week thing, and ultimately a one to two month or longer. Yeah thing just by mitigating that or making a policy of people need to like kind of downshift whether it's just practice or whatever it may be you know throughout your sport yeah so i don't know if you guys have any specific thoughts on that i think that could you know it's another selling point for the athletic trainer for yes you're going to save yeah. the big lawsuit issue mm -hmm. by having them there but you could also in theories save a lot of medical costs yep. to a lot of people um by again you know if it's a sore shoulder you're turning it into just maybe some over slight overuse to not a torn rotator cuff muscle or yeah something and, uh, else so before before coming over here and working specifically with out down at uwl um and now more recently on at mayo clinic um before coming out here, working in the high school scene and everything, I kind of saw it firsthand, and now it's just anecdotally speaking. Um, but kind of saw a transition halfway through through my time at the uh, school that I was covering. It was kind of a shift in thinking, where essentially, if you were an athlete that you went out for a sport, you were going to do be involved in some sort of structured strengthening program, mm -hmm. like all all year round. And yes, it would 
you would have the ebbs and flows of in-season training versus out-of-season training. We know that out-of-season you're going to be lifting harder and, and training harder and everything. Um, and then in-season you kind of dial things back a little bit, but you're still doing enough to, you know, keep up with everything so you don't completely lose it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I specifically, like once that change happened, I saw, at least coming through my training room, it was a lot less overuse tendonitis type of things that would come through. Kids generally didn't come through unless it was acute stuff that happened. So the football player that breaks his leg. It's or, the, quote, preventable right, stuff. Which, right, all that, all that stuff goes yep. away. Like once you implement that style of training, that kind of program, and you actually have a team around you, like the coaching staff, the parents, yep. everything that's bought in, you actually see those overuse injuries not go away because you can't prevent right. everything, but it's dramatically decreased. And it, it's absolutely amazing to even to look. And I, I don't have specific numbers to, to share with everybody, but just from what I can remember, um, the first few years it just seemed like there was a lot of nagging problems um, that I was there. And then even the last couple of years that I was there, so a difference of about eight years in between there, I did can't remember a whole lot of nagging stuff. It was the big ACL tear that we still, unfortunately, can't prevent the contact ACL yep. injury from happening mm-hmm. or the broken arm from happening or right. that, you know, acute ankle sprain that the kid gets twisted in the pile. Like, unfortunately, that's always going to be there. Um, but the, you know, rotator cuff, impingement, tendonitis, Achilles tendinopathy, patellar tendinitis, shin splint splint issues, that stuff tends to get better and go away. So just with it, and that was just a simple change in thinking of everybody is going to do some sort of strengthening or program just in general so that we're all in shape essentially all year round and can handle the demands that the sport is asking of us while not overdoing it when we're in season, out of season, whatever the case may be. I think that speaks to a really important thing of just not forgetting the basics. Yeah. You know, just you can prevent a lot by being basically strong. It doesn't have to Correct. be the fancy exercise mm-hmm. or all the fancy equipment. Like, basics and movement, you know, and you talk about some of the knee pain if we can get people to use their hips a lot of times mm-hmm. the knee pain goes away you know we've we've talked about it a lot you know even at our level like for most of the athletes that we deal with at UWL like the basics are not only going to help them be prevent or you know be more injury resilient it's also going to still get them some really good benefit to be a better athlete right. just be, because they're yeah. there and we've talked about running like yeah some strength and i think we've seen some shift a little um with adding some of that to some of our you know runners and whatnot just some very basic strengthening things but you know can you make form better so that it's not the repetitive stress that doesn't need to be there and i know it's helped a lot with we don't treat with football as much patellar tendonitis as we used to but we're Mm-hmm. Overemphasizing that they squat properly, right? And I think that's made a huge difference, right? In a lot of that we're doing, so. Yeah. And I think that comes back to like coaches, just how creative can you be, and maybe taking a day a week to do something other than your specific sport or those specific movements yeah. you have to do in your sport. 
So you can do a lot of other, like yoga, cross country does yoga once a week yep. for a little bit of recovery. I think gymnastics does like meditation or something like that, which can help, especially in the high school population or Football's younger. Football's gotten in the pool now yeah. on Sundays yeah. just to go float around. So go, and do, like, go have your athletes do something different because they're moving in the same patterns right. the entire time. And they've been doing that since they were 10 years old. Yep. And we've seen other research that would suggest that if you're specialized too early, then your movement patterns are all gone and your motor development as a whole is like shot. Right. Yep. Not shot, but it's affected. Yes. Yeah. So just have them go off and do something else that they want to do that's fun. And then they'll kind of self-regulate. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, an example of that too, right off the top of my head, if you don't, if you don't believe us, what we're saying, go to a hockey rink and... Yeah. A kid that's been skating, that's all he's been doing for his entire life, go ask him to take the skates off and run for it, and you tell me what it looks like. Um, I, there's just a few athletes of mine back in the high school setting that stick out in my mind that, um, and we'd always joke about it, they were big hockey guys, and that's kind of kind of was their thing. They tried to still do other sports, mm-hmm. too, so they still got some of it, and they what I always say, you know, Corey, when it comes down to it, I'm just a hockey player, and I skate skate on land, I skate on ice, it doesn't matter. Just wear out the well, inner side of like their shoes. Yeah. The swimmers, yeah. where they're in the pool all the time, right. they can swim, but then you have them go run a mile outside, and it's like everything hurts. Yes. Because they can't, because mm-hmm. they're not used to it. Right. I distinctly remember when I was a GA, we had a girl in bilateral patellofemoral, like, correctional braces. Yeah. And she's a swimmer. Yeah. It was just like, what uh, There's what are we doing? Like, there, right. there's something so wrong about this picture. She, mm-hmm. There's no way they should be walking around. Mm-hmm. And it's because of dry land training. It wasn't because she was swimming. But, right. um, mm-hmm. yeah, just, man. Like, is, it, is the cost worth, you know, yeah. the risk mm-hmm. of doing it? Right. Like, anything else around this that you guys want to touch, John, that we haven't got to? I mean, I guess the biggest thing for everybody to kind of take away, uh, just good. That was kind of my last question. So, <laughs> to to avoid kind of the the overuse things in general from happening and the the chronic issues in general, um, I always kind of fall back on the ten percent rule. Mm. Um, all, all that all that saying is, um, from week to week, you're not increasing your training load by more than ten percent. So, just an example, if you have uh, an individual that is used to running for 20 minutes, four days a week, you're not all of a sudden the next week making them run 30 minutes, seven days a week. That's right. obviously a difference of more than 10%. Um, and you're probably going to wind up seeing something hurt uh, because you've jumped too much. Um, and I, so I guess I would just reference that um, as just kind of a, a good go-to. And uh, just, again, another another example that pops into my head is that... Uh, 10, 12-year-old boy that is a pitcher that, you know, they pitch at practice or they throw at practice or whatever, um, which they have their pitch counts that they're following in games um, to make sure that they're actually following that pitch count if they're in multiple leagues and Mm -hmm. pitching on different teams. Even if it doesn't even, reset when you put on a different jersey, right? And even even to the extent that dad's home from work, hey dad, can we go and throw a few in the backyard? Those pitches still count. Like it's still an actual pitch yep so it still has to count in that that total like you can't ignore that even though it's just backyard throwing throwing the ball around with dad like all that stuff matters um and it you know if you're again talking with about growth plates and and issues there every little stress it it, it adds up 
So one one throw might not seem like a lot, but when you're dealing with a sore shoulder, one throw might be the next like that might yep. be all you have is one more throw. In which case I would say you should be scaling back a little bit. So definitely I would say that ten percent rule is a good good rule to follow. So that is how you would take something that is complicated and make it simple? Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just making sure. So we come full circle. Oh, okay. So turning that over to you, Marissa, just kind of as the final question, you know, in this whole, because obviously it can be very complicated in right. terms of balancing things. How would you take that and make it simple based on what I feel you like see? the simplest thing that you can do as a parent would just be like listening to your kid. And yes, it's a little bit of a fine line between wanting to push your kid through pain so that you're not completely bubble wrapping them, but then also you don't want to push them too much so really if they have some pain that's been lingering for a couple of days what's the harm in taking like a couple of days off for sure so just pay attention to your kid basically <laughs> trust them because they know their body they Fair know what enough. they're feeling so we'll have more on that coming up with our future episode with another healthcare provider who has a youth athlete or four um <laughs> and just how they've gone about that so well, thank you guys. Appreciate you doing this. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. it's great. We'll see everybody on the next episode. Thank you for checking out this episode of Clinically Pressed. Go to clinicallypress.com for full show notes and links to everything that we covered in this episode. While you're there, you'll have full access to all our episodes, insights, and shorts. You can find Clinically Press on YouTube or any podcast outlet that you use. If you could give us a rating, thumbs up, or a review on how we're doing, we would greatly appreciate it and heard it helps out quite a bit. To get more free content delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the Total Athletic Therapy newsletter at totalathletictherapy.com or clinicallypress.com. You'll get direct links to all the new Clinically Pressed episodes, reviews on some of the latest research in health and performance, and links to related podcasts and other items meant to help you make the complicated, simple, and optimized performance. Thank you for listening, and see you next episode.